Ariza blocked by Bogut. Good recovery by Andrew Bogut. Let's get rogue. Welcome to Rogue Bogues. You've got us again on the Basketball Podcast. A big, big week in playoffs in the NBA. A lot going on around the world. Pro, news? I'll tell you what the news was for the night game. All right? Not Devin Booker was playing like Kobe 2010. Not fucking Landry Shamit playing like Larry Bird. But Jock Londale, our guy, trying to do the um, – he fouled somebody. I think he fouled Jokic or somebody. And he did the um, the sign, the twirl of the finger. And Monty Williams just said, hey, stick that twirl. Off of the review? Yeah. <laughs> review, review this. First of all, do that Offensive twirl. rebound. Do that yeah. twirl up your ass. That's first of all. Second of all, I'm going to review the fact if I should put you back on the fucking bench. Shut the fuck up. If your name's not Booker or Durant, I am not reviewing shit. So just keep playing. I thought that was the play of the game from our guy. No, it was... Yeah, definitely interesting on that one. I saw that. Jock's, Jock's getting in there, though. He's having a battle. We'll get into that. We'll, we'll bleed off right with the Phoenix-Denver series just because that just finished at time of us recording. This this series has been my favorite to watch. Um, it's good good adjustments, good back and forth. I think, you know, the Suns are, are very grind ISO-ish and the Nuggets are very ball movement, you know, right shot-ish for the most part, unless Michael Porter Jr. catches it anywhere on the floor, he's shooting it. <laughs> but other than that... That they move the ball, they move the ball pretty well. Um, but yeah, we're at two two right now. I think this. I called this series. I think four three for Denver. I think it's. I think it's going to go seven. I really do. I think it's going to go seven. Um, good changes by uh, today. It seemed like for game four. That is, it seemed like Phoenix were happy with Jokic uh, getting his his scoring numbers. They they weren't too concerned. They weren't really doubling as much as they were the first couple of games. Um, and he ends up finishing, you know, with a, with a big night. But it just seemed like they, they weren't too worried about about that. I mean, Jokic ends up with 53 and 11. A lot of those assists came in the fourth. But early in the game, it felt like they didn't want anyone else to get in the flow. And, and it kind of somewhat worked um, to an extent. I mean, Denver still were in the game, but it, it, it was noticeable between – Games one, two, and three, the Phoenix adjusted there. Um, DeAndre Aiden, he's had a pretty horrific series for the most part. Played a little bit better today with Aiden eight. But a guy, Jock Landale, has reared his, his ugly mohawk head and uh, he's playing. He's had a hell of a series so far. I mean, didn't play early on. He's got in and he, he's just playing with energy. I mean, these are the dog days of the season in playoff series sometimes and energy can be a key in the middle of a series. And he's just come in and he's you know talking shit. He's physical. He's crashing every offensive rebound. He's up and in. Jokic, not known as a you know on a scouting report, you wouldn't have him as a lockdown defender. But I think he's done a fantastic job trying to limit. Look, you're not going to stop what Jokic does. The whole world knows that. But he's he's made it a little bit tougher for him. And Jokic looks a little bit more frustrated with uh, Jock guarding him than than Aiden. But uh, that's kind of been my hypnosis of, of the series so far. And um, I think it's yeah got every chance to go seven. Yeah, this is I. Uh, I'll just copy what you said as far as the favorite series of, of the playoffs. I mean, I think these guys are going back and forth at each other. You've got great players. You got role players stepping up. Um, I agree with you on today's game. I think that what you need to do is just try to make it hard on Jokic. You're not going to stop him. Nobody on the court can. But you just rough him up the best you can. Use your fouls. Force him into as many tough shots as you can. The guy's going to still get his 30, 35 points. And, you know, tonight, 50 plus. But 
you just just make it as hard as possible and just wear him down a little bit where he might be a little less effective or has to go to the bench a little earlier because he's tired, a little worn down, and then you just keep on working it. And, you know, look, Booker, you know, Booker has been great the whole series. Um, Durant has been great in his own way. You know, in the first couple of games, he struggled shooting it, but last game he really was, you know, really good attacking the basket, getting the free throw line a lot. Tonight he made some great plays. And then the role players stepped up. You know, when Landry Shamit's making shots and, you know, you know, when you know, when Jock's playing and doing the things that he can do, Okoji steps up and makes some plays. I think that, you know, you're hard to stop because you got two great players. You know, Aiton, to me, Aiton is going to like either do something for you or he's not. I would never really rely on him on a night to night basis, but he could do, you know, he could, he can impact the game in time. So I just think it's a great series. I think, you know, I really like to see Mike Malone coach. He's one of my favorites and those guys are grinding out, trying to, you know, trying to play well on both ends and, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I mean, Booker's really taken over games. Jokic, the things that he's been doing, um, it's been really fun to watch. And I, I, I think I've got Phoenix winning the series, but um, anything could happen. It's two two. You know, now again the adjustments come out. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to, you know, just make it tough on on Jokic and just you not really care if he kills you or not, or are you going to change that that up? What's Mike Malone going to do? You know, um, how's he going to adjust? Is it going to be more more people touching the ball, dribble, kick, and just move the ball for open shots? Or are you just going to play it through Jokic like you've been doing the whole year that's been really working, obviously, with the number one seed? So, yeah, it's an interesting interesting way to, you know, way to see it. Yeah, Booker had a phenomenal night, uh, 36 points, 12 assists, but his clips were amazing, 14 for 18 from the three, three for four from – sorry, 14 for 18 from the field, three for four from the, um, the three – and then five for six from the line. Shamit comes off and goes five for eight from three. Jock Landale, a game high, plus 16 in the plus minus. Kevin Durant, 36, 11, and six. I noticed the last couple of games, Denver were trying to double either uh, Durant or Booker. And, and what that's then made uh, Monty Williams do is he's generally keeping those two guys in at the same time, which you don't often see in the regular season. You you know, you see it with the, the Clippers and these kind of teams with two or three stars, they'll maybe take one out. We even see it a little bit with Golden State. They'll take one out. And then bring bring that one sub, like say take KD out with six minute mark, and then you bring him back in the end of the quarter, and then give Booker a rest or vice versa. Somewhere along those lines, what Monty's now done is he refuses to have those guys opposite each other on the bench, right? One on, one off. He he likes to have them together, and the reason for that is because Denver like to send that early double on Durant and Booker when they catch at high elbow or wing. They'll send that early double. So now if you've got KD on the other wing, you just swing it to him. You can't go double again. You just don't have the rotation, right? So I've noticed that. That's been a really good adjustment by Monty. But yeah, when you have Kevin Durant and Booker, you're going to be in games. And if they can, if they both get over 30 a night, um, you're going to have a chance to win. And on the other side, I think Denver, they need more from Aaron Gordon. Um, I think when they win games, he's in the teens, the mid to late teens scoring wise. He had 11 today, but wasn't really, they weren't really a powerful 11 that mattered. He got a couple of points late. Um, Porter Jr. obviously needs to shoot a better clip. He was four for 13, two for nine from three. Uh, Murray was, was his aggressive self. Um, didn't have too bad of a game. He was 13 for 25. So a decent clip, 28 points, seven assists. But I think Gordon's that guy and, and it's coming down to benches. I mean, um, you know, CP3 being out, 
has now given a chance to Landry Shamit. It's given a chance to Terrence Ross. They were completely out of the rotation, pro. These guys weren't playing anything, you know, barely even garbage time at times. TJ Warren's in the rotation, you know. So Tory Craig's the one that's fallen out. Biombo's fallen out due to Jock. And now because CP3's out, they're playing, you know, Ross, Shamit, and Warren essentially are sharing those CP3 minutes and doing a fantastic job. So Shamit had a, had a great game. Then we're going to have to obviously pay attention to him. He played 30 minutes tonight for his 19 points. But yeah, this is a great series. Did you see the uh, altercation Jokic had with the, the owner? Yo, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. You know, uh, do, do they suspend just, him, Pro? Know. That's the question. What's up? Do they suspend Jokic? So for those not familiar, um, Jokic, the ball went out of bounds off Phoenix, one of the Phoenix players fell over into the crowd. Jokic was trying to get the ball quickly inbounded. The owner, uh, Matt Ishbia, owner of the Phoenix Suns, had the ball and clearly didn't want to give it up. Um, Jokic went to grab it and they had a little wrestle for the ball, which an owner shouldn't be doing. You need to give the ball back first and foremost. And the ball ends up spilling into the, you know, over their heads because they were wrestling for it. And then the owner stands up and, and Jokic just gives him a little shove. It was a bit of a flop there, pro. Uh, there was a little bit of a flop, but he, there was First a little bit of a chicken wing. There was a chicken wing. Um, and there's, there's talks there could be a suspension, pro. I'd suspend the fucking owner. No doubt about it. No, fuck that. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like I'd suspend the fucking owner. Like the owner's holding the fucking ball up. Holding the ball. Mm -hmm. If that's anybody else, that guy's getting fucking thrown out of the game. He's holding yeah. up the fucking game. It wasn't like he held it or whatever, whatever. He fucking held it. No offense to the owner. It is what it is. It's, you know, fucking around a little bit. But, like, I don't think anything should happen to anybody. I think, you know, the one guy that put his hand on Jokic that got thrown out, I think he should have got thrown out for sure. The owner, though, that's like borderline. Because, again, if anybody else does that, they're getting fucking thrown out. And I think you're holding up the game. I don't blame Jokic for doing what he did. It's not like he just like, you know, he was inbounding the ball and went after a fan. He's trying to get the ball. The guy's holding it from him. What do you expect? This ain't a fucking charity game. This ain't an all-star game. This is fucking, this is, you know, this is a playoff game. The guy's holding the ball. It is what it is. I know it's tomfoolery. I get it. But nah, fuck that. You can't suspend Jokic. Which... That means the league's going to suspend for nine games. I'm saying you should suspend <laughs> yeah, yeah. them. But, but, Bo, what do you think? I don't think they got I, I don't think No, you can't. You can't do that. I just I put a tweet out earlier saying if they do that, they're, they're, on, they're on drugs. Like, you you know, there wasn't a whole lot of malice. It was like, get off, little chicken wing, give me the ball. You've thrown it away. The owner should give the ball back. The owner gives the ball back, none of this happens. If he releases the ball to Jokic, none of this yeah. happens. So you, ha you have to factor that. And I think they'll give him a fine because they have to make it look like yeah. You know, even though it, uh, it is an owner, it's a fan, uh, player interaction. But if they suspend and ruin this series, I'll be pissed because this has been a great series. I want to see the best players on the court, as do probably all the fans out there. Even if you're a Suns fan, you have to say, all right, you want Jokic out, I get it. But this series has been a great back and forth. Series hasn't started yet because no one's lost home court. And I want to see the big dogs out there. So, you know, the owner, just sit down, man. Enjoy the game, count your billions, and enjoy the enjoy the team that you've bought. You don't need to be, you don't need to get involved to that extent. I just I just hate now that this is going to be a talking point. In the next twenty four hours going to be pressure put on the oh, NBA yeah. to see what they do. I hope they don't do it. I hope they don't buckle. Uh, we know Adam Silver has been pretty player pro player, so we'll see what Jokic says. But if, if it was like a full on sh two handed shove, different story. Little chicken wing. Um, so first one that guy's probably felt in his life. Uh, does a little bit of service to the community socially, I think, bro, to get one of the billionaires to feel what an elbow feels like every now and then. Uh, but hopefully, um, yeah, let's just hope there's no there's no suspensions from that, bro. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that, Bogues. I don't think there should be anything. I think it's just, you know, one of those things. Somebody's going to get fined. If I was the NBA, I'd either I'd find both of them. I'd find the owner. I'd find them. I'd find Jokic. If you're going to do anything, I wouldn't do anything to be honest with you. But I think if you find one, you got to find the other. And I just move forward. It is what it is. It's a great series. I think it's going to be the best series. Uh, it's the best series up to this point, and it's been fun. It's been fun with both teams. It's been fun watching those coaches make their changes and adjustments to the way they play, who they play through. You know, it's been great to see on the Phoenix side, too, willing passing from Booker and Durant on those dribble kicks where, you know, they draw two defenders and they kick to each other or they kick to open players. And, you know, it's been it's been a fun deal. So let's just keep yeah, it up. And I think that Shamit, that Shamit shooting the ball the way he has, you put him in there now with Booker and Durant, if they go to that double team scheme that they've been doing, I think Durant and Booker now having confidence to throw it to those guys. Jock rolling hard. I think that's a good mix now. So watch that space. All right, Knicks Miami, currently 2 1. Game four is tomorrow, I believe. This has been a grindy, old school East Coast type series. I'm surprised we've even cracked the hundreds twice. Um, New York's cracked it twice. Uh, Miami's done it all three games, but I thought it'd be a very low low scoring series. Anyway, I think um, you know Butler comes out. They have a great game one. They, they they win game one. Butler does his ankle. He misses game two. Miami just sneaks over the line in game two. They probably Miami probably could have stole that severely shorthanded, uh, mind you. Uh, no business being in that game. Julius Randle's health, you know, up and down as well, so he's limping around. Um, but this has been this has been probably the opposite of the Phoenix Denver series as far as beauty. It's definitely you know none of these none of these teams are going to the beauty contest. That's for sure. They got they got you know trounced in the uh, the playing rounds of the beauty contest. If, if we're looking just on appeal to the eye, but nonetheless, I thought this would go seven. I'm not too confident. New York just. I don't know, something's missing from them. It just doesn't seem like they got that punch. Brunson's being just eaten up by Butler and his length, I think, for, for, for a lot of the game. Um, he got it going a little bit in game two. Butler didn't play that game. Um, but Brunson, 25-5-5 five and five for the series so far. But Jimmy Butler again has shown up for another playoff series with 26-7-3. and three. Do you think New York can steal game, two, uh, game four at home, bro? That's a big question. I don't know, Bogues. Like, you know, Miami has been playing – one form or another of shorthanded all season, you know, and and guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Caleb Martin and even Duncan Robinson, guys like Hayes, um, Highsmith and Zeller, like they just keep on throwing guys at you. And it just seems like it's like that, that's just been their thing all year, next man up mentality. And I don't know, it's just the Knicks, look, they're not shooting the ball well. They didn't really have great shooting as it is, but – you know, I think Brunson needs to really be a little bit more efficient. Like you said, the length of Butler is really bothering him. But, you know, he's got to be able to shoot the ball just a little bit better because he's the guy, right? You know, like you don't really expect it from R.J. Barrett. He hasn't shot it consistently all year. You know, J- Josh Hart. But you expect it from, like, guys like Quickly and Brunson. Like they got to, you know, they, they need shooting somewhere. And when Miami's just sort of, you know, playing through – you know, Butler and Adebayo, but those role players really step up and, and then you throw in Kyle Lowry in, into the mix and then they'll grind you out defensively. And yeah, I don't know who's a better defensive team. They're both about the same with that, but, you know, just they really, they just really play up on you. I don't, I just don't think the Knicks have enough to be honest with you, but you never know. I mean, I, I but I, I do think this, I think Miami's going to take this series. Yeah. I think they are pretty obviously. It's just something needs to change for the Knicks. It's just not looking good. It's looking very clunky. Uh, the offense just really comes to a grinding halt. 
through different phases of the game, which usually you attribute to Miami. But Miami seems to have found a flow these last three or four weeks through the plane and they're just playing on momentum and they're playing free and open. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I thought it'd go a bit, bit. I thought it was like kind of two, two rocks playing against each other. Um, just the way they, they play basketball. It's just, you know, banging two rocks together. But uh, Miami looked like it's, it's, it's clearly going to win this series, but a lot has, a lot has happened so far in this playoffs. Um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have to reverse my pick of that four three because Miami looks like I keep keep doubting them, but they are they're doing well. All right, Boston Philly. That was this morning Australian time, early in the morning. It is now two two. What I noticed in the first couple of games of this pro was noticeably more physical, um, and we we know that the refereeing style for a lot of besides the Golden State Lakers series really, but generally the the, the physicality lifts up. Um, what I mean by that is Joel and B driving. Swinging through and 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 trying to trying to draw like a little foul and flopping, they just weren't calling it. Um, and I'd love to see that in the regular season first and foremost. Before we talk about this, I love them to see to see that type type of refereeing. You see a distinct change in the playoffs, and I think people love that style of refereeing in the playoffs. You hear it every year, so just do it in the regular season. Yes, there's an argument more players will get hurt because it's more physical and, and this and that, but. It's, it's true of basketball to an extent where the referees are letting a whole lot more go. Um, but anyhow, it is 2-2. Uh, you would say – some people would say Philly are lucky to be up after this performance today. They probably should have lost. But then I would say, well, Boston were down 10 at one point and came roaring back with, with a barrage of threes to get back in the game. So um, an interesting series. We'll go the distance, I think. Um, Joel missing game one. They win without him. He comes back for two and three, and they and they lose both of those. I found his comments interesting, pro throwing his team under the bus after game three, the very day he got the uh, the MVP award. So um, that was interesting and notable. Just saying that other players, you know, play our players need to show up. They're not showing up right now. They did. They showed up in game four. They came storming back. PJ Tucker. Uh, signature PJ Tucker offensive rebound pro. Uh, for those not familiar, PJ Tucker has made a career out of obviously shooting the corner three in defense. But before he had that corner three, he was a he was a monster on the O board, and he was a monster crashing the O board from from corners. And you know he crashes every possession almost, doesn't get a lot of them, and then he gets a bit lucky. They shoot an air ball, he gets the offensive rebound, puts it in, and one makes a free throw. And they end up winning the game by one. And we, we obviously can't not talk about James Harden. I mean, Embiid's been okay this series. We had a better game today statistically, but I just don't think he's been the MVP Embiid in this playoff series or in the playoffs in general, in my opinion. I think Maxi was was their go-to in, in the first round. And this this series so far, I think, is on the back of Harden. I mean, when he has a bad game, they lose. And when he, when he plays like he did today and he's starting to take that scoring load on – on his shoulders, they're tough to beat. Hits that big three late in the game, and they, and they go up. But uh, Boston, uh, they're in the mix. Um, I think the the inexperience of their head coach, I think, is 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 showing a little bit, bro. Um, albeit he is against Doc Rivers, and, and we know Doc does have a history of of not doing too well when up in series. So, uh, but yeah, I think Missoula's been a little bit. I would say I wouldn't say out coach, but there's been some mistakes, not calling timeouts, uh, using timeouts early and burning them and not having one later, all that kind of stuff, which he's going to learn from. Um, I, I think that inexperience has shown in a couple of games this playoffs already, even even against Atlanta. But two uh, two, will this go to distance, pro? You know, Bogues, You know, all my my guts telling me that like Philly just doesn't have enough, but tonight was a great game that sort of put things in perspective and just sort of slow it down a little bit. Um, you know, it was interesting 
the way they were playing without Embiid to how they're playing with Embiid sort of slows him down a little bit. I mean, obviously the guy's great and he he needs the ball in his hands, so it's a little different. But um, I think that look, they're really hard to you know they're really hard to defend in in any way possible with you know with Embiid and Harden and Maxi and Harris and, and you know a couple of their role players could step up here and there. I mean, Boston, it just, it's really hard to stop those guys, though, too. Like, obviously, Tatum and Brown, but then they bring you, you know, Brogdon and, you know, Derek White and Al Horford plays well. Um, not a lot of other guys stepping up off their bench, but those guys. But, um, you know, it's been a great series. I just think the firepower of those two guys and plus just the way they play, I think Boston's probably going to take this, I would say, I don't know. I think I think Philly's good enough to take another game from them, but uh, I'm not really worrying too much if I was Boston. Yeah, Missoula's had some mistakes and things, but look, and during the during the year, he really hasn't been a big timeout guy, and he's got to learn from things. You know, maybe he'll change his perspective on it. Maybe he won't. Um, but I think you just have to go through it. You could prepare for this all you, all, all you want. You can go and talk to all these head coaches about what to do in huddles and things, but. I think until you actually run the huddle, you know, in playoff situations, that you're going to change your perspective of what to do and and how do you approach them. So I think I think Missoula will be fine. He's a smart guy. He plays hard. You know, he coaches hard. You know, those guys play for him. So it, it'll be interesting. But I think Boston just has too much bugs at the end of the day. I think, you know, they got two great players and then they got these other guys that just sort of fill roles and spots. And the problem is, and we'll talk about it in the Golden States, you know, series as well. They 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 just can't fuck with the ball. They can't fuck with possessions. They just gotta continue to play smart basketball and and don't take possessions for granted where they could just throw the ball anywhere and turn it over or, or take a tough, you know, continuously taking tough contested shots early in shot clock. And they gotta work it. They gotta, you know, work it to the matchup they you know, that's obviously benefits them. They got to get to the basket. They got to move the ball, get open shots, get, you know, get Philly running. And again, wear down Joel Embiid just because, you know, look at this part of the year, he's usually banged up, which he is now. And you got to wear him out. And you just got to continue to wear him out, line him up, get him in pick and rolls all day, let him run, you know, you know, force him to run in transition, do anything to get him going to tire him out. I just don't think Philly's got enough. It's been. It was cool to see today, though. Them, them sort of, you know, bring it together and, and tie the series. I just don't think at the end of the day they're gonna have enough to beat Boston. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think Boston's gonna take this one. Very even series when you look at the stats. It's 116 to 106 points wise. That's because there was a couple of blowouts, but mm-hmm. rebounding 43 to 38 for the series. Assist is a big one. 25 to 17 in favor of Boston. Steals are about even, five to seven. Blocks, uh, seven and a half or 7.8 to 5.8 for Boston. Turnovers, 11 and 11. Field goal percentage, 48 to 44. Uh, Three-point percentage is 38 to 37, and free throw percentage is 88 to 88. So very even series when you look at the breakdown of the stats and the shooting clips. I think it comes down to the assists. Uh, Boston eight more a game and move the ball much better. We know Philly are an ISO team. Um, and also the field goal percentage has been a difference. It's 4% difference, but it's equated to you know, Boston scoring 116 points compared to 106. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see what the adjustments are for uh, for Boston and Philly. I thought Horford did a really good job on Embiid today, especially in that fourth quarter. Blocked his shot a few times, but Philly escaped. Probably arguably, I mean, arguably 
like I said, people will say Boston should have won that. I, th- I think so. They were they were in a good spot with a minute left, and they just they, they just ended up uh, being what was it point two seconds late on the shot for Marcus Smart that ends up going in and gets waved off. That was very very close. Um, went in after the buzzer that goes in, and we're talking about something completely different. So this will, I think, this goes a distance as well. I think home court will hold true in this one for Boston. Uh, Golden State and the Lakers two one currently. Golden State game one, to me, they just looked fried and cooked from that previous series. That was a wash. I think they, their, their energy was lackluster. They didn't come out with the right the right punch and the Lakers just got on them from the start. Um, game two, they come back and pummel the Lakers on their home floor. Uh, like most championship teams will do, they'll come back and, and have some pride and try to try to get you back for what you inflicted on them the night before. Uh, they did that very, very well. And, and then game three, the Lakers go you know, the other way and punch them straight back and absolutely, you know, yesterday they, they beat the beat the suitcase out of the Warriors, um, 127 to 97. Anthony Davis, when he has a night, minimum of 20 and 10, they win. Uh, he's 22-14-4 for the series. He had a stinker in game two. They lose that one. Steph's been decent, um, 23 and 8 assists and, and five rebounds, but need more from him. Uh, I think yesterday, Draymond Green, probably even tell you the same, they need more from him. Uh, I think he was not his usual self yesterday um, in LA, just just not as not as up and in, not as physical, not as, you know, argy-bargy guys and whatnot. Uh, so I think he'll look to come out with a bit more of, a, of, of the Draymond physicality and, and shit talking. Um, LeBron, not, not even taking a shot in, what was it, 18 minutes, 20 minutes, just let the game come to him completely and then ends up finishing with a decent line of 20-odd. Um, the spacing I've noticed for the Warriors has really dried up, uh, so much so that they've changed their lineup, going away from Looney and Draymond together. They they split their minutes now. But who do they bring in the lineup, the starting lineup? they they got to figure something out. Um, I think Jermichael Green worked for a game, but I don't think that's going to be saying they're going to still start him in game four. But I think they might need to go uber small ball at times with, with Draymond at the five and bring in another shooter, whether that's Paul... DiVincenzo, even Payton, who's an okay feet set guy, respectable. Um, you, you, you can dare him to shoot it, but a much better defender and just try to have some more mobile guys around. But be an interesting series to this point, bro. Did you see that story about Draymond Green asking to miss some games and, or miss some practices to go see LeBron play this year? No, it was uh, – they were on a road – he asked Steve that when, wherever the – Whenever that game, because we didn't know what game LeBron was going to get it, he just basically said, I, I, whenever that game is, I'd like to be excused from our game or our practice. And it ended up being on an off night, I think, on a road trip of theirs, and he was going to fly in, and, and Steve said no to see the, you know, the points. It's hard for to see the, what's um, fake and what's not these days, folks. That's why I asked. Like, I, I saw the I think story. that was pretty – I think it was pretty true. I think, Dram- I think Draymond's been on record – yeah, I think it was last season on his podcast. I think he mentioned it that he he wants to be there that night when it happens to see his, his good friend LeBron uh, break the oh, record. So I think uh, it I think made it's true. It, it made yeah, it made it sound that like he wanted to miss to watch him play multiple times this year. Not, you know what? They didn't even mention the scoring record. It was more just uh, I thought it just wanted to see him play. I just thought that was interesting. But no, anyway. it, was a, it was definitely the scoring record. It was a one-off to see the scoring record to be there oh, okay. for, for a historic for a historic it. night. But still, I, you, I mean, I mean, Draymond's you know former teammates, friends, whatever. But leaving your team on a road trip to go and see that, I, I get the the mindset of it's history. But it's you know, if you allow him to do it, why don't you allow you know? And then what if you got nine guys that say I want to go too, or then all of a sudden 
you know, next season uh, a former teammate's going to break the rebounding record, let me go. It's just never going to end, you know. So it's more of a, I'll tell you it's what, more of a precedent. Guy's going to be asking coaches to watch Landry, Landry Shamit play the way he fucking played tonight. But anyway, <laughs> I, I'll go to uh, I'll go to the series. Like, yeah, it's been weird with the blow, blowouts and things, but – like I think Golden State's just a better team. Maybe I've just I'm not really feeling the Lakers and you know what they've been doing. I mean they they are overachieving com- compared to what I thought they were going to do. But I think this all comes down to like you know Golden State not taking possessions off offensively and turning the ball over. And look, they they're going to take the whole tough shot thing. You know st- you know Steph and Clay are going to take tough shots. That's what they do. But they got to take care of the ball. Uh, it just sort of brought me back to the series against Cleveland years back where they lost, where, in my opinion, they just, again, just got too loose with the ball, you know, in possessions. I think if they take care of the ball, they get it to the players they need to get it to in those situations and, you know, stretch LA out and force them to guard. They, you know, they, they're, they're a better team, in my opinion. But it just seemed like they threw the ball everywhere. Then they turned the ball over like 19 times. You can't be turning the ball over 19 times and expect to win. I don't care who you're playing. And I just think if they just sort of tighten that up a little bit, you know, look, it's not going to be perfect, right? But, they, you know, that that's going to be a tough one. You know, Clay had a tough game, what, 5 for 14, and Steph was 9 out of 21. Look, the Lakers are, you know, playing well. You know, played well last game. D'Angelo Russell really got it going. You know, LeBron did his thing, even though he didn't take a shot, you know, to late in the game. Davis is playing well. Um you know, it's interesting. I still think the the Warriors will win this, but they just got to take care of the ball and they got to just sort of like, look, we, you know, they're, they're capable of playing way better than they played last game for, for a million obvious reasons. But I think taking care of the ball and valuing possessions a little bit more is going to be a big, you know, big difference in this game. And now, is Draymond banged up? I thought they were saying he was like banged up or something, or he just had an off night. I'm not sure. I didn't hear the banged up thing. Maybe he is, but clearly, clearly there was an issue. He was just, his, his energy and physicality was not what it was, the, at least in the previous series um, with his bonus. Uh, but he was not the best night. And he'll, he'll tell you that he was a minus 27, uh, two points, two rebounds, four assists in 22 minutes. So, um, yeah, not, not a great game. And he'll, he'll bounce back. You know, he's, he's that kind of guy. I mean, Clay came out shooting okay and then finished 5 for 14. Steph, 9 for 21. Their field goal percentage was under 40%, which was horrendous. They turned the ball over a fair bit uh, 19 times uh, for, what is that, 26 assists. So not good there. And, and we, know, we know the Lakers are going to get to the free throw line, bro. Uh, they're, they're absolutely domin- dominating from the line from, for this series. And now, look, that is a bit of a thing, but there's also the flip side. The Warriors are not a big free throw shooting team. They're not a team that's that gets to the line because they hoist so many threes. You factor that in with the friendly whistle that the Lakers usually get. I mean, 37 to, to 17 in the last game. I think the game before that, it was 28 to 6 or something like that. Like they're getting they're getting three to four times the amount of free throws. Um, so, you know, Golden State's got to adjust. They got to stop fouling uh, and they got to get they got to get themselves in the paint a little bit more than just hoisting, hoisting all those threes up. I mean, they shot 44 threes to the Lakers 31 in the last game. So that is a that is definitely a difference maker. But yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I'm st- you see some cracks in Golden State, but then the the, the game fours for them are you know we we've seen it historically. This is where they come out and they they turn a series around. But I really think that that first round series took a lot out of them. Uh, I think it was. You know, people have forgotten about it because it's in the rearview mirror, but that was a tolling, taxing series. That was played at a phenomenally high pace, bro. That was that was an up and down series, foot on the accelerator. You know, you're on the highway, 
on top of that with physicality, right? So I think a lot of their guys are feeling the effects of that. I think it's catching up to them, whereas the Lakers, you know, I don't think Memphis really posed that much of a threat physically and, 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 and mentally for the Lakers. They had to grind out of that series. They kind of coasted through those last couple of games, whereas, you know, the, the, the Warriors were threatened in that first round. So I think that's going to play a part over the course. But I don't want to doubt a champion. I want to stay, you know, stick with the Warriors. I think it's got every chance it's going to go seven. Uh, I think Adam Silver and TV executives are rubbing their hands together if it does go seven. So I think that's the way it's going to go. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of these these second round series have a, have a chance. So probably besides Miami, New York, I think the rest have a high chance of going, you know, minimum six to, to seven, obviously. We know they're going six now, but um, I think all these will go, will go to a seven-game series pro. But we shall see how that all goes. Anything else on that before we wrap up? No, nah, folks, not at all. I think it'll be interesting to see LeBron, you know, LeBron do what he's doing on a nightly basis. You know, obviously his age, people talk about just a little bit. And the thing is, can can he do it? Can he bring it every night where he's putting up? Because I think he's going to have to put up big numbers for them to win. And then can D'Angelo Russell do what he did on a consistent basis? Because he's been a little bit inconsistent. I'd like to see what's going to, what's going to go on there. But oh, he yeah. was huge. Uh, we forgot I, to mention him. He started off that game phenomenally. I think he's oh my god, he was, was hot, right? 13, 13 straight points to start the game. I think for the Lakers, um, finished with twenty one. So didn't really see much of him after that. But he really got him going early on. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how we'll see how it's it's, it's a good series in state in state rival. So. Did you read where he said that Minnesota was holding him back? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they were. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good player. He's not He's not that guy, though. Fuck no. Fuck no. No. Yeah, chill, chill out no. a little bit. You I, know mean, what I mean, you got you, yeah, they, still LeBron and AD. First of all, you got team. a GM fired for trading for him. Second of all, like, they gave him everything. They gave, put the ball in his hands consistently. You know, it just... You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it comes like, and goes. Yeah. Typical NBA stuff, folks, right? Look, the, the situation wasn't great in Minnesota. I get it. You you, know, you get a second chance in LA. You could sort of rekindle yourself by helping a team win in the playoffs. You have a great game. And instead of, like, I, t- I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, instead of being like, hey, this is a great game. I'm happy. Team's winning. I did well. It's awesome. Of course, you got to attack somebody. It's either like, an M- like, NBA one-on-one in a press conference. If you do really well, you don't just like keep it moving positive and move on to the next thing. It's like, this person didn't believe in me. This person didn't believe in me. This person held me back. I want to thank God, of course, but this person didn't believe in me. It's like, dude, you played well. Move on. You have a chance to win this series. Move on. Like, let's let's not have PTSD about like shit that happened a year or two ago. I don't know. It just... Typical stuff sometimes, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, so it's just better off saying, yep, on to the next one. You're in, you're in the middle of a series too, so you're not there yet. And you don't want to get too, you know, as we know, we always talk about, you don't want to get too high or too low in a seven-game series. You can have the worst game of your life and then you can back it up the next next night and have a great game and we'll see how he backs it up. All right, moving on to some news. Joel Embiid, MVP by a lot pro. Um, look, I think it was, for most people, it was out of these two. I still had Jokic just based on, you know, I, I think he, you know, his numbers were phenomenal. And I think if it was, if he hadn't won the last two, he would have won this year. But voter fatigue, I think, got to a lot of people. I was just interested, pro, in the the voting disparity. I mean, it was it was seventy three to fifteen for first. I thought it'd be closer mm-hmm. to that, pro. I, I really did. I think that it, you know, 
if it was 50 to 30, I would have been like, okay, fair enough. I get that. But 73 to 15, um, Embiid, all, all the 100 votes, 73 of them had him first, and then the rest were split up between second and third. So he had all 100 votes were for one, two, or three. Someone didn't have Jokic in the top five. I and mean, I know we discuss this every every year with the voting, you know, how, how it all breaks down. But I'm sorry, man. If you don't have Jokic in the top five for MVP and you're the media person that voted on that, you should immediately have your media credentials removed from you. Like they should almost send someone to your house on the spot, <laughs> like an FBI, <laughs> NBA dude that just says, hey, we're here to collect your media credential, man. Like how do you not have – so Jokic got 99 votes in the top three and there was one vote that was not in the top five. So, you know, I heard uh, TNT group, Ernie and Charles talking about it. Charles called him out and I agreed with him. Um, Ernie said, oh, maybe it was a clerical error. I'm like, no, there's no clerical error. Someone someone was obviously not not a fan of his and didn't want him in there, but that was interesting. Giannis got pretty clear third. So I think it went as most people did as far as, you know, Giannis being third, but I still think the, the MVP vote itself should not be 73 to 15 for the MVP. I thought it should have been much, much, much closer, even though Joel won. Was Kendrick Perkins that voter that didn't have him in the top five? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that probably was actually. You're probably right. And <laughs> someone said that uh, Kendrick Perkins should have handed him the trophy. Uh, it would have been fun to, to watch. But um, look, you, you, I, th- I thought it was out of those two. Um, <laughs> I'd say it was almost a coin flip in my opinion. I, I thought it could have went either way, but to see disparity was, was kind of interesting. Uh, your guy, Bud. Uh, head coach Milwaukee Bucks is gone. Uh, we discussed this last week. It hadn't happened yet. There were some speculations. You thought that it would not be good timing considering, you know, um, some personal circumstances of, of the head coach there with his brother passing in a tragic car accident and whatnot. And I kind of was like, it's business as usual for the NBA. I don't think they take that into account. And they haven't. They've, they've moved on very, very quickly. Uh, um, I've heard, you know, from an unnamed source that uh, Giannis's two candidates – uh, one is Eric Spalestra, which is not going to happen. And the other one, Steve Curry, that's who Giannis wants from, from people I know. And I'm like, well, who's three, four and five on your list, buddy? Cause I don't think they're coming. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do. There's rumors there. They're interviewing their head assistant and interviewing a few other people around the league, but you hearing anything as far as who's heating up for that spot, bro? No, Bogues, it's going to be wide open. Uh, you know, I expect Nick Nurse to sort of get a, a strong look there. And, um, yeah, they, they've got an assistant coach last name. I think it's Charles Lee, his name is. And he's been he's been in a lot of talks for um, for head coaching jobs over the years. I don't know if they're going to stick it in-house. I mean, I, I'm against the move. I think that, look, the whole winning a championship thing, obviously they had that stat where like four out of the last five championship coaches are fired, you know, moved on from that job. Um, so obviously that doesn't protect you automatically, but I think the guy had a great record there. You know, last year had injury issues. This year, I don't know what happened. Obviously the brother, you know, brother passing away isn't great. Um, although that happened in the later, you know, the later stages of this last series. But I don't know. I I think it's going to be wide open. They're going to look at some people. There's not a lot of like unbelievable candidates left because it's 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 a little late in the game, in my opinion. Um, but I think Nick Nurse will get a strong look. I think Scotty Brooks will get us a long uh, a long look. I think Terry Stocks will get a look, in my opinion. But they're going to look they're going to look high and low. I think they've you know they they're going to interview a lot of people. But I haven't heard anything about. Um, about early favorites or, or anything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll be interested to watch just to see. I mean, it's, a, it's going to be – it has to be a Giannis higher. Um, I think he's going to have a huge, huge say. His contract coming up in the next couple of years, eligible for Supermax, which we discussed last week. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, going to be interesting to see where, where that all goes. All right, Dylan Brooks. Look, I don't love the guy. I've, I've noted that I thought, you know, he was silly in poking the bear. You know, the, the, the Lakers were kind of coasting. You know, they probably still would have won that series, but poked and blah, 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 all these antics. But I'm going to say it's gone too far now, bro. I think it's he's he's the whipping boy for a lot of people, and some will say rightfully so. But I think we need to draw the line. I think it's gone overboard so much so as you know the leaks of the Grizzlies are absolutely not going to re-sign him. You know they they don't want him there. Like now people are questioning what he was like in the locker room, what was his relationship. I think that's unfair. I think that really is unfair to to him. Look, the guy plays hard. Probably not the smartest guy going around with some of the stuff that he does and, and the way he goes about it. I don't agree with the way he goes about it, but I can agree that it's it's gone too far. Bro. I, I hate to see guys get just squashed like this. Now, he, he has two roads he can go. He can shut down and go into, curl up into a ball. He can come back even better. I think he'll take the ladder, I hope. But, you know, just, just the the media and people just jumping on this bandwagon of let's hate Dylan Brooks because he, he went at LeBron um, and, and – it can re- this can really hurt his career to an extent. I think someone's still going to pick him up. Don't get me wrong. He's not going to play in China, but I think it's gone too far, bro. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Not a huge fan of him, you know, of his game and obviously the antics and things, but he's a good – he's still a solid NBA player. And, I, look, I, I'm not there, and I haven't heard anything about things that he does or pulls on a daily basis that maybe the organization – you know, was thinking other ways, you know, as far as like, you know, moving on from him after the year. Um, he is a free agent coming up. I, I don't know why you would already dismiss it this early. I don't know if that report's true or not true, or is it just, you know, media making stuff up like they usually do? I don't know. Um, but he is a solid player. Um, in my opinion, he's like a fourth or fifth option on a team. Still very good, solid player. He's not somebody who I'm going to go to and carry me, obviously. Um, some of the things that he does are just sort of asinine and you just sort of shake your head at. But it's the NBA. I mean, there's a lot of players doing that these days. Um, I think every player needs a player like him that sort of yucks it up and sort of you know gets his hands dirty. Uh, as much as people don't like those players, you, know, you like having them on your team. Um, I think he's a good player, a solid player. And I think a, as a front office, automatically just saying we're moving on from him is ridiculous. Look, they had some injury issues. They had some off-the-court things that happened. I think that whole team was a complete and utter fucking mess, you know, for the second half of the year. Um, you know, and then you talk about the, all the shit talking and stuff like that. But I think you should at least revisit it. You know, so you know how it is, folks. It's a long year. People get sick of each other. People pull shit. And you're like, I don't want to fuck play with this guy. I don't want this guy on my team. And then you just sort of cool heads prevail. And then in June and July, you know, August, you see each other again. And then everything is all right. And, and you go through. I, I just think it's hard to – he's not irreplaceable for sure. But with the cap money that's sort of tied into, you know – into their players, into their main players. It, it's going to be hard just to replace the guy. And he's your own guy and you have, you know, and you have uh, you have his bird rights. But I think it's really tough 
to just say like, all right, we're just going to get rid of him. And what are you going to do? First of all, it's a complete fucking joke to think that that guy's not going to be on an NBA roster as much as you hate him. I mean, seriously. I mean, you see some of the fucking bums that are on fucking rosters from like 10 on the 15, 10 on the 17 on a roster. I mean, it's pretty, the, the list is fucking high and, and indistinguished. But trust me, he will be on an NBA team. I just think for them, you know, with John Morant and, you know, John Morant and Jaron Jackson taking up the money they take, you know, their bench isn't great. They don't have great players coming off the bench. Tyus Jones, okay. Conchar, okay. Kennard, okay. You know, like, who's that guy that you're just going to get that's going to replace him off the bat? Sign a trade, maybe? I don't know. But, look, I think that, you know, media loves sort of, like, staring things up and they love running running with stuff. I, I think it wouldn't shock me to say that he's going to be back at the, on their team next year, in my opinion. But that's just really me. even even. But this is the thing: when do you ever see a team leaking to a reporter that under no circumstances he coming back? You don't see that. Like so, even if Memphis were thinking that, you know, and you got to trust in Shams and these guys, they they get shit from like inside. So it's pretty concrete that they're right. Um, but it's almost like Memphis wanted to distance themselves with the whole. He's doing too much, so we're just going to throw him under the bus. But to just just keep it quiet, then. Like, if you don't want to re-sign the guy, yeah. like, why would you come out and put that statement out informally through somebody? And that's soft, in my opinion. And I think it's just not. It's not fair to him, regardless of, of his actions. Like I said, I don't agree with Dylan Brooks and the way he goes about it. Not a fan of his, but I think it's a little unfair that Memphis would would leak that out and then be like, you know, we're not we're not bringing him back under any circumstances. Like, why would you do that? Like you're trying to try to lower his value. Like, what are you trying to do? You know. Um, so, anyhow, that's a that's an interesting one. We'll we'll see where he ends up. Like you said, all these jokes about China, they're, they're funny. Yeah, great, but he's 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 still an NBA player. That's decent. So, we'll see where that goes. Just finally, news. This this, this was a couple of weeks ago, but Phil Jackson got in a bit of grief, pro, for stating that. Uh, they even had slogans on the floor on the baseline. It was trying to bring a certain audience to the game, and they didn't know it was turning off other people. People want to see sports as non-political. Uh, Phil Jackson got smashed for that, bro, because he wasn't uh, all in with the BLM rallies and was against kind of the direction the NBA went during that bubble period. Um, but for people that disagree with Phil, let me give you a clue. Have you seen much slogan since then, pro? Yeah, that since the bubble. Have you have you seen have you seen much? Have you seen any of this stuff since the bubble, pro? Yes or no? Have you seen anything painted on the court? Have you seen T-shirts about any of that no, stuff? No. I- I haven't seen it on the court since. Well, yeah, I know someone who was very close to the situation who, you know, basically said that Adam Silver was done with it after that season because there was a a little bit of an altercation with some people from that side of things um, that said some pretty disrespectful things to Adam Silver, I believe, in a a meeting. And uh, it got to a point where Adam Silver said, I'm done with this. This will no longer be part of the NBA. And I guess Phil's right. You know, people want to smash Phil and say, oh, that's racist to say, or how could you say that? Adam Silver's moved on from it. So that's the quiet part um, that I'm saying out loud that no one's allowed to say. There's been not one thing since the bubble, not one thing. They went from like, you know, 10 out of 10, all in, we're going to do on the floor, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, to nothing. Literally turn the faucet off the next season. Haven't heard anything since. So um, what are your thoughts on Phil Jackson's comments? You know, look, I, I think that you fall in the camp and saying that the NBA cannot say enough about it, and then you fall in the camp and saying they say too much about it, and it's politics. And I sort of side on where Phil is. 
you know, I think the game got really politicized and, you know, they, I think they went over the top a little bit, in my opinion, with it. I think that, look, there's there's ways to be an activist in this league. And, you know, like I, I, I talk about Jalen Brown all the time. He's big into the activism, Brogdon. But those guys do it in a, in a, in a manner where it's not jamming it down your throat. And I do think that, like what Phil said, made some sense. They did jam it down your throat and they got political real quick. And I, and I was listening to, like, Sirius Radio and um, Rick Camilla and – and he was killing Phil for it, calling him a racist and this, this and that. Like, I think you got to. I mean, first of all, they just throw that word around these days like it's like it's just nothing, right? Just calling people racist. I think you got to call like talk about you know look at the intent of what people say. You know, I think the Phil was saying nothing about it's wrong or you know black white all, all that stuff. He what in my opinion wasn't saying that. He was just saying the game got politicized you know, slogans on the floor and things like that. It's a little aggressive. And I think you have a right to say that if you want. And that's and- not an opinion. That's not an opinion, bro. It's fact. This is the thing. Like, that, 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 that is fact. It was very politicized. Now, because it was on your side of politics or not on your side of politics, what Phil said is factual. Was it not on the baseline? Was it not everywhere you looked? It was. So the fact that, you know, he's he said that he – not necessarily against it. He's against it being in sports. Doesn't mean like Pro said, he's not against it. I, I just scratch my head with these, these people that jump up in arms and want to label him as a racist. It's, it's just a bit much to me, but I mean, what would I know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and like I said, I, I think you always have to look at the intent of what people say and not just what they say. And to me, he didn't say anything racist. He just had an opinion on it. And, and I think if, if you go into it, look, we all have friends on teams and, like they were afraid of their careers or they're afraid of the careers of the players or coaches front office. If they didn't stand, even if they didn't believe in it, stand with that. And, and I think, I think that the NBA didn't do a good enough job protecting people that look, didn't feel as though that they wanted to go that far with it. Like you saw, like, remember the kid Isaac, you know, said the same thing, uh, Jonathan Isaac from Orlando saying like, they just sort of like forced it. You know, and you know if you want to nail for the national anthem or not, whatever. I just think that you got to protect both sides of things. It, you know, just because you don't really line up with what the league or a player or players are trying to, you know, sort of what, you know, sort of what movement they're trying to go with. Just because you don't see eye to eye with that doesn't mean that you're an evil person. You're a bad person. It just means you have an agreement or, or you have a just sort of you have a feeling and you have an opinion and. I don't think – look, I, I, I've been against a lot of shit Phil said in the years and it's done over the years, you know, um, but I, I really don't have a problem with what he said. I think it, it was pretty – you know, the intent was there. It was, it was just to say, hey, this is what I noticed and not, not to say it's bad or anything, but just to call the guy a racist and all that. It's just, it's just fucking old and I'm over it and, you know, just time to move on from, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But yeah, the fact that he was cool for it, I just thought to bring it up. He's a basketball legend and that was his opinion, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, moving on to some Australian international stuff. Remember banter. We would love to banter on the Dabble app. So the social betting experience, you can jump into the banter channels, connect with the Dabble community and ride a bet together. Follow, copy bets and jump into the banner channel. Go on and download the app at the App Store, Dabble or one word, Dabble socially, gamble responsibly. I'll be on there from time to time in the banner channel. And every now and then I put out some bets that the good people at Dabble will give you a, uh, a bonus if the bet happens to lose. So check out those in the future. All right. I think uh, we got out chess by Dante Exum Pro. 
Um, I don't know if you saw this, but he's fine. <laughs> he played. He played in game four oh. after leaving the arena in crutches. So all semantics to try and get Abel Sealy suspended. He did. He got five games, I believe. So all the rest of the season, I believe they've given Abel Sealy, I think, um, something along those lines. But uh, Dante did leave the court on crutches after game three and then played in game four perfectly fine. So I think it was a bit of, you know, pressure on the officials to make sure they made the relative suspensions. Didn't work though. They went to uh, Partizan. Tragically on, on the same week, there was a, a school shooting in Serbia. I think the first one that we've, we've ever seen in that part of the world, in the Balkans. Um, it was kind of a dull atmosphere. I think it was on the day of or the next day. But anyway, Partizan go down. Um, it is now 2-2 going back to Real Madrid, I believe, for game five, which is, I think, Friday, uh, end of this week, I believe, is, is that last game. So, But yeah, man, Dante, Dante put a fast one on us, bro. Won't be the first one or the last one an NBA player play, plays on his boat. So let's just uh, let's just deal with it and move on. I guess I'm glad he's okay. <laughs> I'm glad he's okay. no. I'm glad he's okay. I, I was. I, I mean, like I said, I was worried, man. He's finally yeah. had a he had a healthy year for the first year in a number of years, a career year. He's gonna get an NBA deal, and I'm like, man, now he got hurt in a brawl, as I said last week. But he's uh he's pump faked us both, bro. So good job there to Dante and, and Partizan. Let's hope they they can win that. That battle, the next game actually is May 10th, so two days' time. Um, moving on to the World Cup stuff. So Brian Gorgian came out earlier last week and said that uh, Ben Simmons, you know, uh, unfortunately couldn't play in 2021 in the Olympics, but we're gonna happy to have him this year in the World Cup and alluding to that he's put his hand up. So but the headlines were ben, ben Simmons reportedly wants to play in this year's World Cup for the Boomers. A few days later, Ben Simmons follows up through his people. Uh, I'm currently rehabbing my back injury and putting my full effort and focus towards this. I look forward to being a part of the program in the future. So no commitment there, um, which is what it is. And today we get the squad announcement um, and Ben's not in it. So for those not familiar, the extended squad was announced today. So this is a squad that will be going to camp. It is Xavier Cooks, Dyson Daniels, Matthew Delavadova, Dante Exum, Sam Froling, Josh Gidding, Josh Giddy, Chris Goulding, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Nick Kay, Jock Landale, Thon Maker, Will McDowell-White, Paddy Mills, Keanu Pinder, Duop Reith, Matisse Thibault, and Jack White. So Ben Simmons, a big omission there, pro. And also Aaron Baines, not in the squad, which I found very interesting. I thought they would have at least brought him in that shadow squad to see where he was at. But uh, but no GoPro, the bigs in Jock Landale, Dwop Reith, uh, who else do they have there? Nick Kay, Keanu Pinder, and Thon Maker, uh, and, and Sam Froling has cracked that rotation. Xavier Cooks can play a bit of the five as well, so they're happy with that. They don't really have – I mean, Dwop Reith is probably their biggest, stronger rim-protecting big. Um, along with uh, with Jock Landau, will probably be the next in line for that kind of a role. So they might be a little short on the beef if they do face a France with Embiid if he does play. Um, can he? Is he? Is he? Is he French actually, bro? Has he played for the national team or is he playing for? I can't even remember. Who's that, folks? He's got French. Embiid. He's got French background, right? Was uh, he? Was he, he playing I for? Um, Nigerian. Does he have French? I thought it was Nigerian. I think he's got French as well. No, maybe he's not. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, they got, anyway, the point still remains. They got Rudy Gobert and they'll have um, Wimbignana and a few other guys there. So it'll be interesting to see um, how the boomers go there. But that is a squad and there's 18 going. What is it? 18, 18 going to camp. 
and there will be, I believe, 12 going. So six of those will need to be cut. It'll be interesting to hear everyone's thoughts about who gets cut. Maybe we'll do something down the line, um, put, some, put some pressure on us, but uh, that will be interesting in the Boomers. And also, Dean Vickerman from Melbourne United has re-signed with United till the end of 2028 without, I believe, in a f- after a year or two of that contract. So I think he can get out of that contract within a year or two of starting it. I did hear rumblings that were pretty concrete that he would be going over to to Asia for a big deal. I don't know if he's used that as a good bargaining tool for himself to get himself more money, but if so, it's worked. Um, so very, very good coach in the NBL. As much shit as I give him, he's a very good coach, um, and that's a really good signing by Melbourne United. All right, stats. only got two this week, Pro, and we'll get into Q&As. you love the first one, Pro. Useful or useless. Every seed is still in the playoffs to this day, Pro. So every seed is still in the playoffs. There's a, there's a one seed all the way to an eight seed still involved. I think it's the first time in NBA history that's happened, bro. Useful, useless. Yeah, it's pretty. That's one of the more useless stats you've ever given me. <laughs> but it is pretty. It is pretty interesting. So I would say useless, but interesting on the interesting scale, though, folks. Yeah, it is useless, but it is funny. Um, so yeah, there's funny. one seed, a two seed, a three seed, a four seed. You look at it and you're like, wow, it's true. But yeah, it means means absolutely nothing. So I'll go useless on that one. Actually, we do have three. I made a mistake. All right, next one. 46% of the Heat's minutes this season, Pro, were played by undrafted players. It's the fourth highest in NBA history. Useful or useless? It's useful. I mean, I mean, part of it, is injuries, of course, but it's useful that, in my opinion, like it just shows you the program that they're running in Miami that they're getting their guys ready. So, you know, if I'm a player who's undrafted, wait second round pick, I'm gonna get better. If I stay in their program and do what they need, you know, and work on and off the court to be a professional and just continue to get better and continue to have them see things in me that I'm going to get a chance to play. And it just goes to show you that they they do a great job with their development and getting guys better and not just like trying to hang their hat on the, you know, getting the eighth pick in the draft or the fourth pick of the draft to average double digits and then just fucking pat themselves on the back about their development. They're taking guys that are undrafted, you know, that are, are you know, just sort of misfits, you know, land of misfit toys and, put them into not only being serviceable players because we all know serviceable players that play decent minutes in the in the regular season that can't get a, get off the bench in the playoffs they're developing guys that aren't drafted and then putting them in playoff games and they're producing so yeah i would definitely say it's a useful thing useful for sure good on the miami heat they do develop they get the best out of their players um and their next man up mentality i mean they're one of the most ravaged teams in the playoffs injury wise and doesn't seem like they're using that as an excuse to go and let the chips fall where they may. So useless, uh, useful on that one. Uh, do you know who the last four NBA champs were, Pro? The last four NBA champs. Um, and boy, Nick Nurse won one, so I'm going to say Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was Golden State. The bubble was the Lakers. Who was the four? Oh, Milwaukee over Phoenix. Yeah, Milwaukee. That's right. Yep. You got the four teams. So out of the four of those teams, three of the coaches have been fired, bro. Useful, useless. <laughs> I wish I could say it was useless, but I can't 
it's pretty useful. Don't win a fucking NBA championship and you'll be employed for a long fucking time. Just be mediocre. Mediocrity is where it's at, baby. <laughs> yeah. Don't set the bar. To, just go slow. We'll, we'll get 10th one year. Then we'll then we'll get an actual playoff seed at seven, just first round exit. Then we'll get a second round exit. And that'll give you about five or six years if you go down that route. Don't don't go down the route of trying to go to a final straight away. Because no, you know what you're doing, that's a, folks. This is what you do every two years. You just continue to trade and just get picks and just trade everybody in the team. We're retooling our roster. The media and fans love that. Love that. We got 19 pick swaps, 14 first round picks in the next three drafts. They love that. So if you want to stay employed, just do that every two years and you'll be fine. It is interesting though. I mean, it just shows you how impatient teams are um, with winning and losing, right? Like it's like, yeah, you won one for us last season, but what have you done for me lately? You know, it's that kind of mentality, which is interesting, you know, and a lot of it is player driven. Lakers, for example, definitely player driven. Um, but the fact that they fired him a season after winning a chip was pretty disgraceful. Uh, Nick Nurse, okay, maybe he's a couple. Of, he's probably the most reasonable firing out of out of them all because they're probably in a rebuild and it's years on from his chip. His chip was the you know most most backward it was what four four five years ago now. So you understood that, but like the Milwaukee one and you know Golden State's obviously still there. So I find it very useful. All right, moving on to Q and A's. Right, if your Monty Williams is coming from what is this username? Gorgira Gorilla. Okay. So numbscullery, at underscore numbscullery on Twitter. If you're Monty Williams, do you seriously consider pulling the trigger and starting Landale over Aiden? Jock might be a better fit for the starting unit where he does all the dirty work, rim runs, and doesn't need touches. The second unit could also use Aiden's offense. For me, no, I leave it untouched. Um, I think Jock's been really good off the bench, and the way Jock's playing with the energy and the physicality I have worries about him playing that style for big minutes just because it's tough to do that for 35 minutes. So you, if you start Jock and then you're all of a sudden playing him, you know, high 20s, low 30s, he's going to burn out. You know, he hasn't played a lot of minutes throughout the regular season. Could he do it in a, in a normal season with his legs? Yeah, for sure. But that's the worry I have. I think, look, Aiden's received his criticism at times, rightfully so, but they're two, they're two and two in the series, and I like that punch of bringing Jock off the bench with some energy. So I wouldn't change it um, right now. You know, I think in the off season you can address shit. Is DA that important to us? Do we maybe go towards more keeping Jock around more? Maybe even fringe starting him because he plays well off Booker and, and Durant. To your point, but in this series, this season, DA's got him. Been with this group to this point. I, I just wouldn't change it just because of a panic over a couple of games. Jock's been phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. But I love what he's doing off the floor. You, you watch the passion and energy he's playing with, because he knows he knows. Look, I'm playing. I'm playing ten to twenty minutes, depending on how I go. He's going like as hard as he can. If that's all of a sudden thirty to thirty-five, I think he's going to burn out much faster. So I, I like it where it's at, pro. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not changing it. The first thing I'm doing, if I'm them, I'm giving him Jock thirty-two million over four years, and just saying, you know, please stay because he's a great, great addition to what they're doing. Um, Aiton, I think you lose him for the rest of the playoffs if you even thought about bringing him off the exactly. bench. I don't think he can take that. I think he'll just be in a shell. What I would do is I would lock him in a room. 
and just have him watch David Robinson film from his first couple years in the league and impact the game the way Robinson did early in his career. Just, you know, he's got to do more. Of course he's inconsistent, no doubt about it. He's very, very much like Anthony Davis in a little bit of a different way. You know, like some night he'll be unbelievable with his activity, running the floor, rolling to the rim, doing his thing, and then he's just a, nowhere to be found. I think Jock's great to bring off the bench because, you know, look, he knows his role. He's going to give his energy. He's going to use his fouls. You know, you don't want Jock getting two quick fouls on Jokic 38 seconds in the game because, you know, and then, like, now he, now what are you going to do? You know, I'd rather, like, Aiton do his thing. Look, Aiton's playing well out of the short roll. He's not a rim protector. He's never been. But he could rebound a little bit. He's good in the short roll. He could score a little bit. You know, just keep doing that. And then Jock comes in. Like, I think Jock, you know, this is where, like, you know, when I was having discussions with people about Bayambo or Jock playing over each other, like who should play over each other. Like in some series, I think Bayambo gives you more shot blocking. He's a strong guy, big, longer armed. But the thing about it is the basketball IQ, the hands, knowing how to play, and then just sort of giving consistent energy. I think Jock wins out 10 times out of 10. So I think it can be just up keep before. it the way it is. He, he, he can yeah. be up the floor in those screen roles, which you're going to kind of have to be with the shooters with Denver have. Yeah. But I think DeAndre Aiden, you know, if, if Phoenix get through this round and let's say the Lakers get through, they're going to need him against Anthony Davis. So to Pro's point, you can't, you know, it would be an absolute slap in the face, um, whether that's yeah. right or wrong, strategic long-term, that he just might shut down completely and then all of a sudden you're playing the Lakers and Jock gets two early fouls. And then what? you got to bring – please DA here with us mentally, you know, so – um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. All right, next one with uh, this is coming from Chris Desmond James on Facebook. With OKC exceeding expectations this year, and Giddy and SGA leading the way, where to for the Thunder in the next off season or two? With all the picks and young talent, what player or kind of players do they target to trade for to springboard in, into contention in the West? Pro, you can do the duties first this time. <laughs> okay, so what they're asking about is what what Oklahoma City is going to do next. What should they do I next? Think, I mean, they got yeah good, good group and I'm, basically just asking: Do they make a trade for a veteran star in the off season? Do they just keep running the course with the youngins? What do, what do you think to get them back into you know a top top six, top seven in the West? That's a good question. I, I think that they have to first like I think the biggest thing here is you have to figure out what this draft's going to be. You know, as far as like what you're going to do in the draft, I don't think that they should make any moves. Their their salary caps not out of control. You got to figure out what Chet Holmgren is going to be going forward, and then I think I think what Chet Holmgren is going to be is a big part of what you're going to do. He's under a rookie deal, but he's hurt last year. You know, um, I I think I would keep it completely the same. I don't think they should really trade for anybody. Josh Giddy is a star. You know, a future star, a future all-star level player. You got Alexander, you know, right there. There's your one-two right there. And then you just sort of play it out. Guys like Jalen Williams, Dort, the other Jalen Williams, those guys are, you got to figure out what you're going to do with them going forward. You could probably move them, you know, with some picks to get some players coming back. I, I think that Alexander and Giddy are untouchable. I don't think they're going to really make many trades, and they, I, I think they're just going to wait on Holmgren. And then they get all these picks coming up, and they got to figure that out. But I think they're going to keep it together. I don't think they're going to go out and really sign anybody. I think that I think that 
what you want to do is continue to just to get the best picks that you can get while you're still young enough where you're not really giving out crazy amounts of money and then you're 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 at the threshold of the of the luxury tax. It'll be interesting what happens when they do get to the luxury tax. Last time they were in that situation, it cost them James Harden. So I wonder what they're gonna go, you know, going forward with that. I think they're gonna keep it the same folks. I don't think they're gonna make any major changes. I think they're gonna continue to develop their guys, play them, figure out what's gonna go on Holmgren. Giddy's gonna get better. He's gonna shoot the ball better going forward. And then they're just going to just sort of just play it out from there. What do you think, Bokes? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Do they bring in maybe another second-tier star, a la Wiggins for Warriors, someone like that, to fit in fit in there with Giddy and SGA? Uh, maybe a four or someone, you know, someone like that. Do they, do they make that move? Who knows? Don't forget they've got Chet sitting on the sideline coming back from injury. Pokoshevsky's still, from what I understand, they're still pretty high on him or were pretty high on him. So they've got guys that are similar lengthwise. I don't think you can keep both of those guys long-term because they're similar games to an extent, but I know their their dream of that all-long kind of athletic lineup where they can all do the same the same kind of thing, put the ball on the floor, shoot threes, is going to come into fruition if they have no more injuries. So I still think they're a veteran star, second-tier star away from actually being making a bit more noise. Another year together is going to be better, but I think they're they're close, man. They're really, really close. I think they're going to be the team that we look at in a couple of years that are going to be competing in the West for a long, long time. Uh, the question is, can they keep them all together long-term? But I think – I don't know. I don't know who the stars are off the top of my head, but I'd like to look for them to get someone, maybe maybe flick one of those picks away and, and, and throw in someone else to get maybe another – Another scorer that you can put next to next to SGA and, and, and Giddy and with those other role players, I think they'll be a very tough team to beat at that point. So I like where they're at. They're if you're an OKC fan, you've got a, a really healthy future there. All right, last one. This is from Instagram. Pictures on the internet is the username. Uh, do you think that NIL or NIL and transfer portal has ruined high school basketball in how they're transferring every year, chasing state championships or winning teams instead of developing skills from an experienced coach? I think I know your answer to this, so go for it. Bogues, are they talking about high school or college? I believe high school. I believe the reference is um, – or probably both, essentially, because I know they're doing it yeah. in high school now, right? Um, they're doing it in both. Well, they, so. they just they just okayed it for high school. Now, there are certain states that don't have it in the United States. Uh, that's state law. You can't do it for college or high school guys. But um, we'll just answer it as a general. It's destroyed the game completely. Um Although it's funny, one college coach, one of my best friends is a high major college coach at a Power 5 conference. He goes, Mike, the only difference that NIL does is we pass the bag over the table instead of under the table. You know, everything sort of stays the same. But now you're getting situations where, like, you know, a player will be a starter. They'll be getting, like, 125000 And then they bring in a backup for them, and they got to pay them more out of their NIL money. It's just crazy. It's it, it's literally destroying the game, you know. It's destroying the game. It just like it's not about the skill development thing anymore. First of all, coaches aren't worried about skill development in most situations. They're just worried about recruiting more kids, recruiting the transfer portal, continuing to recruit, you know, nil funds, all that, and it's just sort of destroying the fabric of the game. You know, players are playing, you know, transferring three you know, two, three times over the course of their of their career, they're going to be immediately eligible. Um, I, I think it's unbelievably bad for the game. I, and I, like, for me, NIL, like, 
I remember reading the books about the Fab Five with the Michigan back in the early 90s, right? And it's funny when Chris Webber cried that he was poor, yet he was getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from a fucking big <laughs> yeah. that was like yeah. known, right? Like, but I do understand that like those guys, look, whatever they were making, they're they're freezing their ass off at University of Michigan, walking across campus and you know, try to go to a movie or whatever, and then they see their jersey being sold, you know, in the bookstore, thousands of thousands of them everywhere, and they're not getting anything for it. I think in situations like that, they should get their money. But I think that now it's destroying the fabric of the game because, A, these kids are switching schools more and more. That's why I think the college game sort of is losing its luster. Where it used to have, like, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, you watch these guys, these kids stay three or four years you know, even the role players don't stay three or four years anymore. It used to be just the really good players leave after a year, two years, three years, whatever. But now it's just all interchangeable and it's really destroying the fabric of the game. Players, you know, what are you going to tell a player? Like the, the major schools I could see, but like if you're a mid-major school and you're, the coach is getting 400 grand and then one of your guys are getting like 150, 200, like, you know, it's like, it's, the player empowerment thing, I understand it to a certain degree. I think they need it, you know, especially the really good players. But I think it's just ruined their their ability to get coached, be held accountable, you know, thinking about the wrong things. Like you'll, you know, you'll see these power five schools in in the same the same power five. Uh, a friend of mine that's assistant in Power Five, he goes, look, we're one of the lower tier of Power Five schools, money wise, and and you know, uh, for NIL, we'll be going after a mid major transfer. And we we can give them like one seventy five, and then like a, a bigger school from their conference will gobble the kid up at four hundred grand, and they won't even play the kid. They just want to take them out of that guy that the other team's roster. I think it's t- terrible. I think the transfer rule to be automatically eligible is terrible. I think if your coach gets fired or leaves, you should be able to transfer automatically eligible. If you got an immediate family member sick or passed away, you should be able to transfer to a bordering state of where you lived for immediately eligible for that. But I think that it's just there's, it's just moving too fast, and I don't think anybody really has the infrastructure for this. It's the wild, wild west. There's no rules anymore, and up is down, down is up. Dogs are meowing, cats are barking. It's just if you watch Star Wars and that cantina scene, that's what basketball is these days at college and high school level. It's fucking stepping into the cantina scene at Star Wars and never leaving. So that's just my little take on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think. Th- there just has to be a penalty for transferring. Like, I don't like the portal because it, it just makes it too easy. Whereas, you know, back in my day, you know, I hate to have that, that, com- that, that use that comment, but if you wanted to transfer back years ago, you had to make a decision of like, do I really want to sit out a whole year? And that was enough for people to say, you know what? I don't want to sit out a whole year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this shit out here. I'm going to talk to my coach, say, coach, why didn't I play last season? Why this? Why that? And he's going to give you some honest truths. And then you're going to spend the off season or the summer working on your game and bettering yourself and facing some adversity and then coming back. Now, there are circumstances where you do need to transfer. There are kids that sometimes do get screwed. I, I had a former teammate of mine that got heavily over-recruited because a school was in probation, brought him in and said, look, there's minutes here for you. And there was. This guy played a shitload of minutes his first and second year. And then all of a sudden by his junior year, the probations got lifted and all of a sudden they were back in the the candidates were then all high school Americans again and he got screwed. That's that's an issue, right? Because he thought he was going to play the whole time. He could have went to a smaller school. But just because 
you're not putting the time and the effort in or you're messing around at class and coaches on you and I want to transfer this coach is too hard for me or I'm only playing 15 when I should be playing 30. Sometimes you get to have that conversation first with your coach and sometimes you get to look at yourself in the mirror. A lot of times, unfortunately, as an athlete, I can say this, a lot of times it's the athlete more than it is the program. Now, there are circumstances, like I said, what would you think, pro 80-20? 80-20 usually the player as far as relative reasonable reasons to, to transfer? Yeah, it's probably 80-20, I would agree. Yeah, 80-20, yeah. So there's always one in five are transferring for the right reasons and you understand it. The other four are transferring because coach didn't say good morning to them, you know what I mean? And I think that's not good. And I think if you have the the year, the, the one-year sit-out rule, I think it – it makes it makes you really think about whether you want to do it, especially if you're going to be a, you know, a, a lottery pick in your given sport. Um, you're going to think about it because you're like, shit, this might hurt me. People are going to ask, why is he why is he transferring? They're going to then go to that former school of yours during draft time and, and interview them. You don't want that on your resume. You want to just one be be, be at one school, however long it takes, and go get drafted. So. I think it is messing up the game, and I think that's but that's the way we're going. That is the way we're going, and I think as far as society, with the way games adjudicated, a refereed, with you know how you can talk to referees in junior, like we discussed that last week. You know everything's bubble wrapped, and everyone's everyone's just trying to be. I don't want anyone's feelings hurt. We we can't have any emotion. We're human beings. People are going to be emotional. Instead of training people to not have emotions, and you know, if you're a referee, for instance, instead of training your referees at your local association, or no tolerance from any coach or any player talking back, train your referees to understand human psychology and emotions and train your, your referees and, and even train your players. Like, hey, that referee's starting to get agitated. You're probably going to get a tick. You need to you need to have these discussions. And that's a normal part of the game that we're just losing because we're bubble wrapping everything to be, you know, we are going in the time of AI, AI pro, but we're also programming human beings to be to be robots with the way the way things are going. So... Um, I would agree with that. What do you What do you have for us this week? Wrap off with a fact or fake news that's not about me this week, pro, and and we'll call it a day. <laughs> uh, fact or fake news, Bogues? Will the Milwaukee Bucks hire an assistant coach? That they, they will hire a assistant coach versus ha- hiring a regular head coach, you know, for their job next year. You mean assistant from their squad or from anywhere else? Assistant from anywhere, their school and Ooh, their good one. their team included. Mm, there's some there's some good assistant coach candidates out there, but I I don't think that Giannis is going to want a no an unknown entity is my pick. So I'm going to go fake news. I, I think they're going to go with they're going to have some sort of name or resume. So that would mean someone that's been a head coach before, in my opinion, pro. So I'm going to go with fake news on that one. You. I say fake news. And my last one that I have is Dylan Brooks will be playing somewhere where you can get steamed dumplings at any mail next year. Fact or fake news? <laughs> well, you can move into a Chinatown of, of San Francisco potentially or Chicago. Or New and York. Vegas is um, getting a team soon too. So, you know, but mm, I'm looking no, ahead he's at not, that. He's, he's not playing. <laughs> he's not playing. In, no uh, chance. He's not playing in China. No chance. There's people that are making – the jokes are funny. Um, there's, there's a guy on Instagram. You follow Per Sources? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the Boston guy. He's hilarious. Um, shout out to Per Sources on Instagram. If you don't follow him, Per Sources, he, um, after anyone has a bad, bad game, <laughs> you'll have like this, you'll have a, a screenshot of, uh, 
their face and it'll be a phone number calling that says like Guangzhou, China. <laughs> oh, that's the guy. I stole that actually. Yeah. I stole, I stole, they had the, um, just a screenshot of Guangzhou calling. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, great. yeah. that's him. Yeah, that's him. That. And he's a Boston guy actually. He's a big Boston guy. Like he's like <laughs> one game he wants to trade Jalen Brown. Like he did it for Jalen Brown one game. That's like, cause he's a big Boston fan, but uh, that's hilarious. But yeah, fans are having their fun with it, but he's, he's still an NBA player. Whether he's a starter or a bench player, debatable right now. I mean, I think you could argue he could be a good off the bench energy guy for a good team, but he's, he's a 20 minute minimum player in the NBA, no matter he does need to fix his offense a little bit, but he plays hard. And, and over the course of 82 games, you know, you can't teach playing hard and he does play hard. So give him that, but he's not, he's not going to China at least till he hits 30 pro. Yeah. No doubt about it. No, no doubt about it. So I, I say fake news too. There's no, there's no way that he's going to go to China. He's he'll be, he'll be the NBA without question. Agree. All right. That wraps up another episode. Thanks everyone at Rogue Bogues on all your socials at Hoop Consultants to find Mike on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll see you all next week, which hopefully will be another good week of NBA basketball. Thank you, everyone. See you guys next week. Let's get rogue.